This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of that Sentinel Fort in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. So, unfortunately, we are not talking about the imminent demise of the Buttigieg campaign. So, last night's debate was mostly dog shit. Um, Most of the toughest questions, or at least questions meant to, like, trip up the candidates, were, of course, reserved for uh, Sanders and for Warren. Um, Warren asked if she would use taxpayer dollars to tear down Trump's wall. Um, Sanders asked if he should discourage his supporters from chanting lock him up uh, at rallies. And Buttigieg not asked that at all about the uh, controversy in which he uh, claimed that a bunch of black activists and political leaders in South Carolina had endorsed a plan of his when they hadn't and for just using stock photos of people in Kenya. Nor are they bringing up the fact that polls seem to show Buttigieg is the only candidate who would lose to Trump. Yeah. And to a certain extent, this should be up to Sanders and Warren to bring up if the moderators aren't Mm going to bring it up. Yeah, they got it. They got to. I mean, I know you have been saying that individual polls don't matter but i think there's a trend now showing Buttigieg on the rise in some early key states and i'm on the verge of a fucking meltdown over here particularly on the issue of healthcare, which medicare for all is a popular issue particularly within the democratic primary and Buttigieg has been on record as previously supporting medicare for all until he decided to get a bunch of money from the health insurance industry, and now he's suddenly against Medicare for All. I wish that Sanders or Warren would bring this up at one of these debates, this transformation, and make Buttigieg explain why he's no longer supportive of the program. Well, the good news is I think we might start seeing uh, attacks on Buttigieg and I, I, I really don't see the downside to not doing this, to having not do this, even when he wasn't really uh, polling that well. Like, there's nothing wrong with pointing out how shitty he is. But anyway, Bernie Sanders uh, might start to be getting the message that he's got to go after this nerd. And uh, today, I guess... Dunk there, on this nerd. There, there's a preface, uh, there's a preface to, to Bernie's attack on Buttigieg, which is... Last night, uh, Elizabeth Warren, rather cleverly, I think, uh, talked about the impeachment scandal and how it started with a donor becoming an ambassador, essentially, although that guy, I guess, is now sort of the good guy or whatever. But anyway, she pointed out, she pointed that out and said, I will not be appointing any donors ambassadors and invited everyone else to take the pledge. So uh, journalist Sabrina Siddiqui caught up uh, with Buttigieg and asked him about this uh, this pledge. And he was basically, he said no. He said, I'll certainly commit that anybody I appoint to any position will be qualified and somebody who will do a good job serving the United States. 
And if that person it's happens so, to give him a bunch of money, he'll probably consider it even harder. It's so easy to commit to something like that. <laughs> so easy. So at the, especially at this stage. So anyway, Bernie quote tweeted that hit out at Buttigieg's response. He said, uh, it is an outrage that throughout the history of this country, presidential administrations have been filled with wealthy campaign contributors. Here's my commitment. I will fill my administration with my donors, the working class of this country who gave an average of 18 bucks a piece. I'm going to be an ambassador, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Same night, ambassador to Iceland. Probably be more qualified than most of the uh, people who have been ambassador to Iceland that at least got there through big checks. Well, <laughs> I mean, considering that diplomats uh, uh, have to be liked by people they are talking to, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Icelanders. Would You've got some me. friends in the pirate party. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Benjamin Netanyahu indicted. Yes, he he's been indicted. Owned, bitch. Owned, fucker. Uh, I'm obviously indicted for bribery and not ordering war crimes uh, against Palestinians, but indicted nevertheless. I'm sure if he has to make way for uh, Benny Gantz that he'll be just as bad. And I was scouring the NBC News story. My one point of intrigue on this story is what was the involvement of uh, Netanyahu's dipshit son, Yair, <laughs> who at one point was caught on tape bragging about how he helped uh, get access to his dad in exchange for stuff, I believe. And so I, I don't know. I mean, it is a little amusing, though, that uh, Israel, with its numerous, numerous uh, systemic problems and is definitely not a democracy how at least the prime minister of Israel can be indicted, and yet you have all these dipshits in the U.S. government, including Robert Mueller, yeah. who said that uh, the sitting president can never can never be indicted. So uh, it, it's just grim. It's just grim seeing that the state of fucking Israel yeah. is, uh, is, is marginally better than the U.S. on that front. It's Thursday, November 21st, 2019. Here's the news. The Environmental Protection Agency is proposing to water down a rule that was passed to prevent chemical plant disasters. The agency announced the move today, bragging it was, quote, reducing unnecessary burdens. The rule was inspired by a massive 2013 explosion at a chemical plant in West Texas, which killed 15 people. As NBC noted at the time, the explosion had the force of a magnitude 2.1 earthquake and left a 93-foot-wide crater. Yet, like, leveled the city. (laughs) Late last week, 38 House Democrats wrote to EPA head Andrew Wheeler asking the ex-coal lobbyist to not do what he did today. They noted the rule included, quote, modest but important incident prevention measures, including emergency response coordination and planning and community access to safety-related information, end of quote. Last year, under Wheeler predecessor Scott Pruitt, the EPA attempted to suspend the chemical disaster rule, only to be thwarted by the courts. As the House Dems noted in their letter, there are 177 million people living, quote, within harm's way, that is, near facilities that are impacted by the rule. Additionally, the lawmakers noted that there have been 73 publicly known incidents at these facilities in the year and a half since the Trump administration has sought to weaken the rule. 
These include a Wisconsin oil refinery explosion injuring 36 people and forcing the evacuation of the entire town of Superior, population 26,000. There was also a four-day-long fire at a facility in Deer Park, Texas, which forced 700 people to seek medical attention. Also this summer, you probably saw the video on social media, a refinery exploded in Philadelphia. Remarkably, no one was hurt, at least not directly. The explosion caused hundreds of thousands of pounds in hydrocarbon emissions, among other types of emissions. A few weeks ago, we briefly touched on a story out of the Securities and Exchange Commission, regulatory change that would shield corporations and their largest shareholders from reform efforts proposed by smaller rank-and-file shareholders, basically the vast majority of people who own stock, which is really only about half the country, and like less than 1% owns the majority of stock. Anyways, the proposal would drastically raise the stock ownership requirement to propose a corporate ballot measure. It would also, among other things, prevent an investor from introducing more than one resolution per shareholder meeting. This is a measure that had been long sought by corporate executives. Republicans are pushing similar legislation on the Hill, and now the SEC is taking it up. The public comment period is now open on it. Now the news on this... And hat tip to listener styled fact on Twitter for DMing me this pretty mind-blowing story, which was first reported yesterday in Bloomberg. SEC Chairman Jay Clayton claimed during a commission meeting that he was won over to propose this rule by a series of letters he received from, quote, Main Street investors. Clayton described these letters as the ones that, quote, stuck with him the most. He claimed he received mail from a school teacher, a single mom, a veteran, a civil servant, a cop, all supposedly requesting that the SEC change corporate governance rules to make CEOs less accountable to smaller shareholders. Well, you can probably guess the next part. Uh, these people weren't real. Well, at least not as represented. The letters were part of an industry-funded public relations campaign that either willfully or not duped the SEC chairman into making regulatory changes. Or at least just gave him a very convenient excuse. Yes, that would be willful duping. <laughs> Bloomberg contacted these people who apparently wrote these letters. The school teacher, she said she never wrote the letter. The veterans... They were actually the brother and cousin of the chairman of the public relations firm running the campaign, an outfit called 60 Plus Association. Uh, apparently, the single mom was also just an employee at the firm. Uh, similar convenient associations were uncovered with other letters to Chairman Clayton and the firm. Uh, it was obvious that something was amiss. All these letters bore the same digital printing error that, according to Bloomberg, inserted a mash a mashup of words in the SEC's mailing address. So just by like looking at these letters, you could have seen that mm, there's something fishy here. There's, they, someone forgot to strip the formatting when they copied and pasted, right. I think. And <laughs> despite the fact that they're lobbying on behalf of, uh, of CEOs and shit, they evidently they couldn't afford a, a proofreader. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Bloomberg tracked down the president of the public relations firm, the 60-plus association, Sal Anunzis, Sal Anunzis, whatever his name is. Uh, he owned up to the influence campaign, and he was just stoked that it worked. Quote, 
I'm extremely proud that we were very effective. If four of our letters were quoted, that means we did a great job, he told Bloomberg. I don't know how long he's been in the business, but when a Bloomberg reporter uh, calls you up (laughs) and tells you what the score is, you you haven't done your job. (laughs) This doesn't exactly inspire much confidence in our regulatory institutions that that they can be swayed by what's essentially the lobbyist version of a Boomer chain email. Though it doesn't take much to sway Jay Clayton to side with corporate executives. A glimpse at power amassed by the White House during the Cold War. There were 32 national emergencies in effect last month, as certified by the president. That's according to data from the Brennan Center cited in a report released this week by the Senate Homeland Security Committee. The oldest, a declaration on Iran after its 1979 revolution, was extended just last week by President Trump, as noted by Stephen Aftergood from Secrecy News. The committee report was on legislation with bipartisan support that would diminish presidential power to declare national emergencies. It passed the committee in July by voice vote, with two Republicans asking to be recorded as no, Josh Hawley and Tim Scott. If signed into law by the president, the bill would impose 30-day sunsets on any national emergency without congressional approval. As noted in the analysis, national emergency powers were first legislated in the 70s to grapple with Truman's Korean War emergency decades after it was first declared. Relatedly, the Congressional Budget Office doesn't expect the legislative branch to actually stand up to any president. The committee report included CBO analysis, which stated, quote, CBO cannot predict the number or timing of future declarations of national emergencies, but expects that most of them would be approved by the Congress. This seems spot on. For example, lawmakers love to complain about no one ever declaring a war to fight the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria, and then they never do anything about it. Anyway, Congress is a house of bootlickers. Uh, It's two houses of bootlickers, actually, uh, technically speaking. Of note, it appears Republicans are supporting this bill because they're afraid a Democratic president might declare a national emergency over something that actually is an emergency, like climate change or tens of thousands of people dying every year because of the health insurance industry. Lead sponsor Mike Lee from Utah said in March, quote, It is liberal elites' cult-like zeal for centralized power and their furious entitlement to wielding it that has led us to this very vote. Okay, Boomer. Yeah, that's what immediately what I was thinking when I read about this story and the bipartisan support for this is that it's the moderates in the Democratic Party or maybe some progressives who aren't forward thinking. This is going to be a way to handcuff the next president who wants to use uh, the same powers Trump has used to uh, militarize the border to enact climate change legislation. And Republicans uh, only really brought this up because the president had threatened to use emergency powers to it, levy tariffs. Well, it, it had nothing to do with the border stuff, uh, anything else. It, it, the Republicans, well, I mean, in terms of what Trump has done, they, yeah. they were probably forward thinking. Well, uh, I, just remember, I just remember the discourse around the Trump emergency declaration was like, okay, fine. Next time, if Bernie's elected, he can just declare an emergency and implement the Green New Deal. But leave it up to Democrats to shut the door immediately on that if that was ever a possibility. Wait, just and, in case. And, and again, they would uh, definitely approve of 
every single uh, national emergency declared by a Republican president. Yep. Finally, here's fodder for the next time you're at a sporting event and they do the whole respect the troops hoopla and you don't stand up and then some dipshit gets mad at you for disrespecting the troops. The president is continuing his habit of shielding war criminals from consequences. Reacting likely to a Fox News report on Thursday morning that convicted war criminal Eddie Gallagher would be kicked out of the Navy SEAL program, President Trump lashed out on Twitter, quote, The Navy will not be taking away warfighter and Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher's trident pin. This case was handled very badly from the beginning. Get back to business. By the way, I think it's very funny that when you get kicked out of the SEALs, they take away your pin. <laughs> oh, not my brooch. <laughs> Earlier this year, Gallagher was convicted of posing for pictures with dead ISIS fighters, something a psychopath would do. He was also accused by a fellow SEAL of murdering an ISIS detainee with a knife and of firing at civilians, but he wasn't convicted on those charges. President Trump eventually pardoned Gallagher. He also pardoned two other service members who were convicted of war crimes in Afghanistan. To be fair, not punishing war criminals is an American tradition. Oh, folks, oh, we, we got to look forward, not backward. We're going to end the newscast right there. Before we go, we've got some poetry to read for our new subscribers on Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel, five bucks a month. You get access to all the bonus content, including tomorrow's Garbage Can Show. You also get your own haiku written for you and read on the air. This is for Annie. The Mayor Pete dance, except done by a sheriff while evicting you. Thank you, Annie. Finally, this is for Jacob. Happy birthday, Sam. Today's Sam's birthday, so he gets haiku instead. Thank you, Sam. You're welcome. And uh, thank you, Jacob, slash sorry for stealing your haiku, but it's my birthday, and I can steal your haiku if I want to. I'm sure Jacob understands. If uh, he's upset, he can unsubscribe and then resubscribe and get another haiku. <laughs> Again, uh, we're back tomorrow to throw some piece of shit in the garbage can for subscribers. Everyone else, we're back after Thanksgiving. Have a good one. We'll be back in D.C. so you don't have to be. <laughs> <laughs>